um, this morning. So my name's Stuart. I'm one of the key leaders here, if you, if you don't know me. And we're going to continue looking at Nehemiah's story of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So our vision statement as a church is continually reproducing the life of Jesus. And it's underpinned by four different parts, which are on the banners here. Um, and one of, those ba- one of those parts is transform. We partner with others. We actively engage in our communities, our city, and our world to show Jesus' love and tackle issues of injustice. And today, we're going to look a little bit further. What does that mean for us now, in this time, in this season? So just a little reminder of the background to Nehemiah's um, story, where we're at today. is Nehemiah, he was um, in this position as a high government official of a Persian king, and he was asked to help rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah sensed God's call on his life to leave a cushy job as a cupbearer and personal advisor to the king, and to lead the Jewish people from exile in Babylon to rebuild these broken walls of Jerusalem. Now that is some huge project that he was undertaking. Some Jewish people had already been allowed to return to Jerusalem 70 years before, um, but after 70 years the walls still weren't rebuilt. So after four months of um, praying and fasting, of feeling the pain, of why isn't this happening? Why isn't something happening? Nehemiah shares a vision with the king and the Jewish people themselves. And everybody gets really excited. The rebuilding starts with a mix of discouragement, disappointment, external, internal opposition. People on the outside saying, ah, it's a load of rubbish what you're doing. People on the inside kind of sounds like... Some journeys that we all go on, really. I was going to say something that I've resisted. (laughs) And yet Nehemiah pushes through because there was a wider story unfolding for the Jewish people. And Nehemiah's eyes are then opened to the injustice and poverty that is both individual, systematic, corporate, and God breaks him again. And that's where we're at. God breaking Nehemiah again. Because he sees injustice happening. He sees poverty. So we're going to read from Nehemiah 5. It's quite long, so hopefully it will appear on the screen. And you can follow or follow on your devices or in a paper Bible. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and and through our children are as good as theirs, yet we are subject subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their cry and these charges, I was angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. 
and said, as far as possible, we are bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could, they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of the Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses. And also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back. I wish it always happened like that, simply. (laughs) We will give it back, they said, and they will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, "In in this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Moreover, from the, third, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and the wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. That is, some feast. And every ten days, and an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favour, my God, for all I have done for these people. That is a roller coaster. Right from the beginning to the end. That is a roller coaster that Nehemiah went on. And throughout the Old Testament, we, we are challenged to act justly. But not just to act justly, but to learn that justice is part of God's nature. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, verse 4, we read, He is the rock, his his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And as we think about Nehemiah's response to injustice and poverty, I want to help us find a way to process and respond in our world today, both individually and together. So I'm going to frame these thoughts um, around Nehemiah's response. It was emotional, thoughtful and practical. Firstly, we can learn that Nehemiah's response was emotional. He felt pain and released compassion. 
Nehemiah was, was facing a situation where some of the people rebuilding the wall didn't have any food to stay alive in verse 2. Others had to remortgage their fields and homes in verse 3. Others had to borrow money to pay their taxes in verse 4. There was slavery. Some of the, the daughters were already enslaved. There was a ripple effect of poverty that affected whole families. Nehemiah's response in verse 6 was, I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. He was very angry. Because firstly there was all this money problems going on. It was causing a ripple effect. By the greed of some people wanting to make a profit from financial troubles of others. Secondly, there was this lack of unity among people of God, of the people of God, because of the money troubles, because of injustice and poverty. There was lack of unity. And thirdly, it stopped the work of the Lord of rebuilding the walls. And Nehemiah gets emotional. He feels the pain. He's already done that. We've seen that right at the beginning of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. He felt the pain. In this case, he got angry. He was the anguish of those that were facing. And in the next breath, kind of in the next breath, he takes in the pain and then releases compassion. Often in the Bible, we read about, when we read about anger, it's connected with injustice. My simple way that I was just trying to work out what does that feel like, because is that we're breathing, anger in this way is like breathing in pain and breathing out compassion. It's intense, it's confusing, it's messy, but God is in it all. There are some amazing verses. If you take out all the verses in the Bible that are to do with injustice and, and poverty, your entire Bible will fall be in tatters. So this is important. This must be on God's heart. And in, ver- in Proverbs 30, uh, chapter 31, verse 8 and 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And for me, that statement, that emotionally charged proverb, is what Nehemiah demonstrated. I hope it reminds us how we're meant to respond in our world today. About a week ago, in the media, was a headline that didn't make it into the kind of top pages or the kind of top headlines. Because it was shrouded, we were just, a week ago, it was all about the tax affairs of government ministers. But this was the headline. UK government minister admits 200 asylum-seeking children have gone missing. This is what should make us angry. Breathing in pain and breathing out compassion. 200 unaccompanied asylum-seeking children who have likely been kidnapped and into an underworld, yeah, dark place of trafficking... Why isn't that the headline? How do we respond? Does it make you emotional? When I read it, when I kind of, it shocked me. 
I didn't know what to do with it. I prayed and said, God, what, what have we got to do? 200 asylum-seeking children have gone missing in the UK. Since then, I've had a number of meetings this week. Surprisingly, I think God's in this. And it was all about challenges of refugees and asylum seekers. And I'm challenged, what's that mean in Bristol? I went to a meeting at 7.30 in the morning... Gosh, Rachel B was there, uh, one of our global partners. She was alive. I wasn't. <laughs> and as I was chatting to her and hearing about what is God doing within this city, working with those who are refugees in this city from all countries, I was reminded um, of her story. And I went back. She uh, spoke here at the beginning of December. And told her story. And I was reminded about her story about, um, yeah, how she ended up kind of building some work around asylum seekers and refugees with Bristol Hospitality Network and refugee welcome homes. And the story started, and I'd forgotten, is on a noise weekend at Hallfield Common. We were doing a family fun afternoon with all bouncy castles. And I spotted a guy who was on the edge... He was just watching. He was stood on his, he was sat on his bike watching. And I went and chatted to him, and we got to have a great conversation. Um, and it turned out that he was um, an asylum seeker. I didn't know he was unaccompanied, um, yeah, a, a asylum seeking child, effectively. And I invited to an international student cafe here. Didn't really think anything more of it. I was just like chatting and having a conversation. And he came along to Globe Cafe here. Rachel met him and God lit a vision in her heart. This was 2008. Like 15 years later, what God has done across this city is incredible. And I would just want to encourage you, and this is a little aside, never underestimate the random conversations where you show welcome and hospitality. Unfortunately, I do underestimate those. But God does way, way more with our interactions. On the 24th of March, 2020, the morning after the Prime Minister at that time, and obviously we know about a million since then, <laughs> um, announced the first COVID-19 lockdown. I came to the office, just the other side of this wall. Um, it was just past nine o'clock in the morning. And I remember really distinctly, it's funny how you remember conversations sometimes, uh, with Matt, who was the food bank manager there at the time. And we both sat there in the office and went, oh, what are we going to do? And we both came to the conclusion within seconds, we're not going to let anyone in this city go hungry. It wasn't an angry type of um, emotion that Nehemiah felt, but it was an emotion. We have felt anger because there's a lot of systematic injustice why people are going hungry. But we wanted to respond. It was breathing in the pain of those who are already in poverty in our city and those kind of teetering on the edge of it and then breathing out the compassion. We had no idea that... Um, or what was going to happen with the food bank. 
across this city, how this building was going to be transformed into a place of serving us, the north and of, of Bristol. We were exhausted after three months, literally on our knees. There are many people, as I look out here, who journeyed every step through that. And I'm totally thankful and grateful because we couldn't have done without you. But we didn't know. The ongoing challenge for us, though, is how do we continually feel the pain and breathe out the compassion? Because I would suggest that sometimes we build up internal walls to protect ourselves, we say, and then numb ourselves. I know I've been guilty of this because feeling pain from injustice and poverty in our world hurts. And sometimes I don't like to open myself to get hurt. Other people have taught me a lot better on this, way, way further, what it means to show that long-term empathy, that long-term emotional response. I'm on a real slow learning curve. But I want to suggest that Nehemiah did that well. I want to suggest that Nehemiah didn't just wallow, though, in an emotional response and go, whoa. He was thoughtful. And his aim was to change the narrative. And that's what great leadership is. He was a man passionate enough to get angry, but wise enough not to act straight away. Until he had considered the matter carefully. In verse 7, there are these two little phrases. I pondered them. He starts with the, the phrase earlier said, I got very angry. And then he said, I pondered them. Nehemiah was thoughtful and then practical, which we'll look at in a minute. Nehemiah understood the bigger narrative of God, that Israel was chosen to be a light to the Gentiles, to show them the way to relationship with God. Yet by the way that the wealthier Israelites were taking advantage of those who were poorer, the Gentiles were looking on and going, showing disappointment, disapproval. That's a challenge to us as church now. How we interact with each other, how we care for each other, is a light to our world. Not just by what we do outside a, a building, but how we genuinely care for each other. Nehemiah is pondering. He, need, he knew he needed to change the narrative. And the Bible speaks loads about God's bigger narrative. It encourages, as I've already said, about seeking justice. About doing this, we have to ensure that the systems, the structures of our society better protect people from reaching crisis points. The thought pondering matters. It matters. The thoughtfulness is about changing a narrative. And we can't separate that from the emotional response either. Archbishop Desmond Tutu once famously said this in the context of justice and poverty. And many of you will know this, this sentence. There comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. This is hugely challenging. Because in my thoughtful pondering kind of stuff, I'm also asking, well, how do they fall in the river? Who pushed them into the river? Justice is central to God's narrative 
So how we are thoughtful about changing that narrative on earth matters. And Jesus modelled that to us. He modelled to us. At the beginning of his ministry, after 30 years, he stood up in a synagogue and read an old scripture from Isaiah. It was effectively, as I've said many times here, his manifesto. And he said in Luke 4 verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set freedom to those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That is why we need to change the narrative. So with all this stuff around poverty and injustice, can I say whatever stage... Whatever age, whatever background, upbringing, hurt, pain, privilege, advantage, disadvantage, any opposite in in whatever place that you are at, we can all feel and connect with God's heart for justice. Prayerfully, thoughtfully pondering and then get practical. I guess in a polite way, I'm going to say it a polite way. I'm expressing that we have no excuses. No excuses not to respond. So we have these two phrases smack in the middle of this kind of journey. I was very angry and I pondered them in my mind. We see God is already at work here. Because they responded positively to Nehemiah's rebuke to this injustice. They suddenly, quite remarkably and miraculously said, we're going to pay back the money. Nehemiah reminds them that they are to treat the poor well. And in do so, be a light to everybody around. He gets practical. His being practical, though, it means being strategic. It means being individual. But it also means being sacrificial. And we're going to look at that as we come into land. Nehemiah knew when it was important to call a meeting. Everybody goes, oh. He knew when it was important to call a meeting. And as you read earlier on, later on in the, chapter, the beginning of chapter 6, he also knew when it was important not to call a meeting. He basically tells people that, there are, that they are not doing right. That they should, be charged, they should not be charging interest in verse 10. He orders them to give back the fields, vineyards, olive groves, houses. And also the interest you're charging them in verse 11, he says this. The meeting was successful. Because straight away they go, we will, give it, we will give them back. They said, we will do as you say. Anybody that organises meetings will go, well that is the best response ever. <laughs> Rarely ever happens. And the people did as they promised. They didn't just say that, they did it as they promised. Now that is a meeting with a strategy and a practical solution. Incredibly, people did what they promised. And that was an individual response. The journey and strategy was solving the crisis of poverty. So it must have been God's working. It must have been God working. But not only that, Nehemiah 
demonstrated and lived out in his life. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just feel the pain, think about it, and then get everybody else to do it. He lived it out himself. He lived out the change of the narrative. Nehemiah does not take what he is entitled to as the governor of Judah. As we read later on in Nehemiah 5, after a promotion, the governors before would have taxed the people to provide for themselves, but he doesn't. Instead, he shared what he did have, which seemed to be plenty. That was some feast. And he shared it with 150 people who ate with him every day, including those from surrounding nations. So not just the Israelites, but those from surrounding nations. God blessed, kindly blessed Nehemiah richly, and then he blessed others with what he'd been given. He demonstrated extravagant generosity and then personally he lived out sacrificially. That's a leader with a personal integrity and that's what our world needs now. It needs leaders with that kind of response that is practical, that is strategic and individual and sacrificial. And as we close it, I want to encourage us to firstly think about where we're at. I want us firstly think about that the random conversations matter. I'm not going to let John Becker have a mic, but if you knew about how many kind of random conversations he has on an aeroplane, they matter. We can all ask God to do something huge and narrative changing with simple, kind, welcoming, listening conversations on an every single day basis. That's one way we can all respond. The second way is that God wants each one of us to respond to poverty in an emotional, thoughtful and practical way. He wants us to respond is an emotional, thoughtful, and practical way. And some of us, like Rachel, who kind of went on this journey of kind of ending up kind of serving asylum seekers and refugees in our city, it was a huge journey. It reorientated, it reorientated her life. For some of us even here today, maybe God is going to do some reorientating. For some of us, we just need our hearts broken again. Because we've got a bit hard. And for some of us, we just need a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to nudge us. Just kind of, we're kind of there. We get all this. But we need a little bit of a nudge. Otherwise known as kick up the backside. God is speaking into each one of us. And I'm going to... As we kind of use a few songs to worship, I'm going to invite the band up. But I want us just to close our eyes a minute. Sometimes it's really hard to kind of process stuff quickly. And sometimes we don't know where to go with that. But sometimes it helps with our posture. And if one of those things in a response... You feel, actually, God, I want you to do something. So my posture says, I'll put out my hands, either sat down or even stand up, 
I say, Holy Spirit, would you move me forward now? If you're able and want to stand. And then I'm going to pray that those verses that Jesus read out, that manifesto, I'm going to pray it over us. So if you want to respond to God's heart for the poor and justice, then maybe put your hands out or stand up and put your hands out. And I'll pray.